If you would turn in your Bibles to John chapter 17. Found on page 1074. 1074. John 17, we're going to start at verse 20. John 17, starting at verse 20. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one just as you are, Father, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory um, that you have given me because you loved me um, before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you and those and, those, and these know you that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. If I were to ask you to pray the Lord's Prayer with me, how would you start it? Right away comes to mind our Father who art in heaven, Right? That's what we often think of the, the Lord's, as being the Lord's Prayer, but is that really the Lord's Prayer? No, I think you could better label that as the Disciples' Prayer. What we're focusing on this morning is the Lord's Prayer. That's found in, in John chapter 17. And this is a prayer that Jesus prayed out loud before his disciples. Jesus knows that everything is about to change, The day-to-day fellowship he enjoys with his his disciples, that's going to change rather shortly, in just days. Because from here he goes to um, Gethsemane, and from there we know the the horror of um, getting beaten and um, getting nailed to the cross where he died for our sins. And yet despite that, despite what Jesus was about to face, Yet through it, we can see so clearly our Father's love and grace. I think more than anything, when you look at the cross and you see Jesus' willingness to die there for our sins, it shows his grace, his love for us. That he wanted so badly for us to be with him forever and eternity that he was willing to send his one and only son, Jesus, to be our Lord and Savior. I think his crucifixion is where he will most clearly reflect the unquenchable and unsearchable. and and We can't even totally grasp it, God's love. We see it, we we claim it, but we can't totally understand it. It's just beyond our our comprehension. Verse 1 says, when Jesus had finished saying all these things, all what things? All the things from chapter 13 on. And we don't have time to look at it right now, but sometime page through uh, chapter 13. 
And that's where he sits down with his disciples at the table for the Lord's Supper. And then all the the chapters between chapter 13 and, and what we're focusing on this morning happen in between there. And so you could say that Jesus was preparing his disciples for what's about to come. He's preparing their hearts. Preparing them for the betrayal that they're going to see. To see him die on the cross, that's going to be heartbreaking for the disciples. And, And while they don't understand yet totally what is about to happen and how he's going to rise from the dead, yet he wants to prepare them for that moment. He also wants to comfort them. He promises them his his Holy Spirit. He tells them how to remain strong by by standing upon the word, the words which he had spoken. He also depicts their relationship with him as being similar to the relationship between a vine and the branches. And and I think that's a vivid imagery of, of what it means to be in Christ. Basically, he gives them everything that they need So that when he's gone, they'll be prepared. It's kind of like a last-minute pep talk, you might say. And when he's done telling them all these things, he lifts up his head to heaven, and he begins to pray for them. And it's an amazing prayer. Thousands of sermons have been uh, preached on this text, and, and actually the whole chapter. And I think thousands more could be preached. But this morning, we're just going to focus on that last piece of it. The very beginning of the prayer, it focuses on um, Jesus' need to go to the cross, and he's praying for strength from his Father. Then he prays for his disciples, and then he prays for all people, which is for us. And specifically, he prays for our unity. I think one thing that really strikes me, though, about his prayer is where you and I, we would be filled with fear, knowing what's about to happen. We're about to go to the cross about all that we were going to have to endure and suffer. We don't see that fear being uh, reflected in in Jesus' prayer. Instead, we, we, we hear such faith. You could even say that Jesus speaks with joy as he speaks to his disciples, as he imagines what's about to happen, what's to come, how the world will be forever changed. Jesus wants his disciples to hear what he's praying about, and that's why he prays out loud. And, but not only is it for them, but it's for us as well. And what he says about our unity, I think, is so important that we need to take it to heart. So what did Jesus feel was the most important thing he needed to pray about? Well, I I mentioned those things, but really, when you think about it, isn't it amazing that he would focus on our unity? Now, why didn't he focus on on leadership? Boy, the church needs leadership today, right? Or how about families? Boy, families today are under attack like never before. Our kids, our grandkids, even even marriages. Devil is working hard. I mean, there's so many things that he could have focused on. And yet he focuses on our unity. And you have to ask the question, why? Why was that so important? Of all the things he could have prayed about, why did he see our unity as being that important? To be one of the last things he focuses on before he goes to the cross. 
Well, I think one thing to mention just before we, we even talk about the unity is, is um, and we didn't read this, but in, in verse 1, he talks about, um, he says, glorify the Son so that the Son may glorify you. Now, keep in mind that no one shares God's glory. God is jealous about his glory, and he will share it with no people. And when we try to take his glory, that's usually when he disciplines, right? So that we might humble ourselves again as we come before him. But Jesus says he has claimed his Father's glory. And the reason he could say that is because he's pro- professing and proclaiming his deity, who he is. That he is the Son of God. That he is one with the Father. And, and so this should alert his disciples to who he is once again. I mean, he's been giving them all these hints all through his, the, the, the three years that he spent with them, but now he's really trying to prepare them for what's to come and reminds them that, of, of who he is. I think in a Peanuts cartoon, Linus is watching TV when Lucy comes in and demands that Linus change the channel. Linus asks, what makes you think you can walk in here and tell me what to do? Lucy said, these five fingers. When these five fingers are curled into a magnificent fist, it can rule the world. <laughs> Linus looks at her fist, walks over to the TV and says, what channel do you want? Then he turns away and as he's looking at his own fingers, he says, why can't you guys get together like that? Right? A while back I was watching a documentary on PBS about a, a tribe of Indians, Indians in, in Papua New Guinea. And apparently a young man living in the small village had asked a, a woman in a neighboring village to marry him. And she had said yes. And, and so not only did he have to pay a large um, uh, dowry price, um, but it was his responsibility to, to build the bridge that tied the two villages together over this deep gorge. And I guess there was no other way across. Now, it wasn't just his responsibility. The, the town saw it as their responsibility, too. And, and so um, that was really the only way for the wedding party to get across and go get the bride, have the wedding. And so the whole town comes together, and they start wor- working on this bridge over this gorge. must have been at least 50, 60 feet. Well... Here comes everybody with these sticks and, and some saplings that, that weren't very long and they weren't very big around. And I'm thinking to myself, boy, that would never hold my weight. Probably wouldn't even hold the weight of, of our dog. But despite my fears, they just kept working. And uh, it was amazing how they put that thing together. And even though, again, those branches weren't very long, yet they kept winding it together with, with the vines that they could find in, in, in the jungle. You know, they put some more of those saplings on and they'd wind it together and some more and they'd wind it together and they kept doing that until suddenly there was a bridge that you could walk across and it was strong enough to hold a number of people's weight at the same time. I think this bridge is a good illustration of what the church is like and I think what Nate so clearly demonstrated to us a little while ago Individually, we're weak. Individually, we can break, just like you can break that stick. But when we stand together in Christ, with the love of Christ binding us together and making us one, 
That's when amazing things can happen. Not only can we accomplish amazing things, but we're a witness to our community. Again, that Christ is here. That there's something different about us. Now, while you would have thought Jesus would be praying mainly for himself and what he was about to endure, our passage says he's focused mainly on his followers, mainly on us. Isn't that amazing when you think about that? At a time when he surely could have been just focused on himself, he could have easily been a little selfish because of what he had to endure, what he was about to face. Yet he's not, though. Again, it was such a short, his focus on himself was such a a short part of his prayer at the beginning, but the major uh, bulk of his prayer is for his disciples and for us. That just says something about Jesus' heart. And hopefully, it's something that we can imitate. Three times in that last section, he prays for our unity and oneness. Which again, begs the question, why is that so important? Well, when you look at Jesus' teaching, you see rather quickly that he sees unity as being more than just a nice thing. It's more than just, I guess, good organizational sense. It's more than something you do when you feel like it. But it's vital, it's important, and it's something we need to be working at all the time. Individually, as families, but also as a church. This is the good news of the gospel, that it is possible through Jesus, through his love. See, when Jesus died on the cross, he broke down the wall that divided us from one another. What we see happening at the Tower of Babel, suddenly we see this unity now, and we see this common language through the Holy Spirit. Sin tries to rob us of those things. It doesn't want us to stand together because the devil knows that when we stand together, there's strength in our unity. And he doesn't want that. That's why you see so many churches being split apart all across the country. Every, every week, churches are, are splitting, and sometimes over the silliest things, sometimes over important things too, important doctrinal issues. But because of the work of Christ, since we're now children of God, united in his love, the Bible says there's no longer Jew or Greek, circumcised or uncircumcised, slave or free, but we're one in Christ. We're one in Jesus. Christ is all and in all, the Bible says. In Christ, we become one people through the working of the Holy Spirit. Through Christ's love. Jesus gives us now the ability what sin robbed us of, and that's our oneness, our unity. And now, as a family of God, we're called to stand together. That's not always so easy. Paul emphasizes the same idea in Ephesians 4, 3-5. through 5. I therefore, prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit of the bond of peace. 
Now, while our Bibles translate verse 3 as eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit, I think the actual Greek there is a lot stronger. And I think the NIV is a lot closer to showing us what the true meaning of, of that verse is. And I, I think a better interpretation of that would be what the NIV says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. Make every effort. Or I think you could say, give it your total dedication. Give, give what our total dedication? Our unity. It has to be our priority. See, this isn't an option for God's people, but it's being commanded. We're being encouraged to do this. See, Jesus knew that the church would have little influence on the world unless God's people stood together. And they demonstrated a oneness and a love that you can't find in the world around us. In this world of disunity, our unity points to something. It points to Jesus. And so we're given an example to pattern our our oneness after. And that's the oneness that exists in the Godhead. Jesus prays in verse 21 that our fellowship would reflect the unity we see between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And, And just as we see this unity between the three, so it must be with the church. And that's something that we have to work at because it's so easy. Our, our unity really is so fragile and it can be torn down just like that. When we say the Apostles' Creed together in church, we profess, I believe in the Holy Christian or the Holy Catholic Church. The whole church. Not just our little church here in Rudyard, but the Holy Catholic Church or the Holy Christian Church. all made possible through Jesus. The reason we can say that and we can have that unity is because of what we hold common in Christ, his love, our faith in him, believing that he alone is Lord and Savior. And and this new reality is reflected in what the Bible calls koinonia fellowship. And we'll talk more about that next time. And this, is, this fellowship isn't something we can create on our own, but it's a gift from the Lord, from Jesus, made possible through their love. You know, when the villagers um, tied the vines or, or tied the saplings together with those vines, you know, you wonder, why didn't they use nails? Or why didn't they get some wire and wrap it with wire? Wouldn't that have been a whole lot stronger? Clearly, they didn't have those things, right? And anyways, in the jungle... To put a nail in or to put wire, it would have rusted just like that. And it would have been fairly quick before that, that bridge, I think, fell apart. No, they used vines because it was readily available. I think it was everywhere. Villagers around the vine, the, the villagers wound the, the vines around that wood, just like we saw in, in that bundle of sticks. And there was strength in that unity. Same for the church. Jesus is the vine that holds us together. His love binds us together and makes us one. And and because of that, we're no longer individual saplings or individual sticks, but we're the body of believers. The communion 
of saints. We've, we're the church. First John four sixteen says, God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. Made possible through Jesus. And so as we take up our cross and we follow Jesus, we reflect his love and his light. Hear what I said, though. We do this together. It's not an individual journey, though it begins that way. We have to put our faith in Jesus but after, after Christ calls us, but still what, what we're all called to do is stand together as the body of believers. And that's when we really reflect Christ in our lives more than we can on our own. You might notice I only got through the very first point. That's all we're going to do this morning. So I hope all of you will come back next week as we continue to talk about this. And I hope you see how important this is. Again, God's not saying do this. You've got a little extra spare time. But you have to work at this. Every day, every week. Especially as the end approaches. The devil's going to be working all the harder, trying to split us apart. You do your thing as a family, I'll do my thing as a family, and we've got to fight against that. We've got to stand together because there's strength in our unity. And it brings God glory and honor. And we'll talk more about that next time as well. Let me leave you, though, with this thought. St. Teresa of Avila once summed up our unity like this. Christ has no body now on earth but yours, no hand, hands but yours, no feet but yours. Yours are the eyes through which the compassion of Christ is to look out on a hurting world. Yours are the feet with which he is to go about doing good. Yours are the hands with which he is to bless now. And in doing this, it brings him glory and honor. Together, we are the body of Christ. May Christ's prayer for Christian unity be fulfilled in us and through us. And may, it point, may it point to our community that Christ is here living among us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, forgive us, Lord, when we allow the things of this earth to divide us, when we allow problems when we allow little things to, to break us apart. Forgive us, Lord. We see that in our marriages. We can see that in families. But we can also see that in the church. And we just pray, Lord, that you might help us tear those walls down so that we might stand together, so that we might be one. We pray that our unity will point to you, Jesus, that you are alive and at work within us. And we just pray, Lord, that as we focus on, on what... Our oneness is all about in you. Father, we just pray that our, our church might become stronger as well as our witness. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. They'll know we are.